Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here today for Agriculture of America AOA. Great to have you along with us once again. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have another busy show lined up for you here today. Coming up in just a second, we're going to talk with the president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, Chuck Connor. In segment two today, we are going to have a conversation with Dr. Jason Miller from Michigan State University looking at supply chains, logistics, and some of the latest updates there, especially as we get towards fall harvest season, a very busy time of year for supply chains. In segment three, we're going to get an update on the markets. We're also going to talk about the expansion of Soy Crush with Ed Usset from University of Minnesota Extension. Looking forward to that conversation. And then at the end of the show, we had a new milk production report come out earlier this week. Alyssa Badger with High Ground Dairy will be joining us at the end of the program to discuss the latest milk production report. All that and more is coming up here today on AOA. Well, since I uh, took over the uh, host duties here on the show, we've been talking with a lot of folks throughout agriculture and getting an update on some of the latest uh, policy concerns, things that folks are working on and and looking at. And right now we want to talk with the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Their president and CEO, Chuck Connor, is joining us here today on AOA. Chuck, it's great to talk with you. How are you? Doing well, Jesse. Thanks for having me on this morning. I appreciate the time very, very much, Chuck. Let's dive in. And, uh, of course, uh, Farm Bill is uh, top of mind for a lot of folks here uh, during the August recess, and it's something that I know uh, is top of mind for for you guys there at uh, the uh, council. And I I know uh, I was just uh, looking through it. It sounded like you just gave a speech in Indiana on the Farm Bill here recently. So talk about that and, and just talk about some of the things you are keeping an eye on with regards to the Farm Bill, Chuck. Well, I did have the opportunity to speak at a, a governor's uh, conference in Indiana on the farm bill and uh, was on a panel and got to moderate um, several producers uh, who were sharing their views and kind of what their perspective was on the farm bill. And, you know, my takeaway, Jesse, on that was um, I think producers feel like the differences that we have today are really pretty small. And, you know, we have some funding debates and how we allocate resources, but you know, this is a 1.2, you know, depending upon your, your an estimate, 1.2, 1.3 trillion dollar farm bill. And to think that we can't, you know, figure out how to sort of divide up uh, and create a, a not only a, a farm bill for urban members, but, you know, as importantly or more importantly, a good farm bill for farmers out there that, you know, just have tremendous risk these days. And I think they're frustrated that, uh, you know, it's become such a big deal when there is so much money here and, and ought to be relatively easy to allocate and, and create a bill for everybody. Well, and you bring up some great points and it, it does feel, Chuck, like it, it's become kind of a big deal. You know, every five years we get a new farm bill discussion and, you know, sometimes it gets caught up in and politicized more and more, it feels like, when at the end of the day, it is important to make sure we get the right farm bill done for not only urban folks with the nutrition title, but also our, our farmers and ranchers and protecting them in rural America, isn't it, Chuck? You know, it really is, Jesse. And, you know, coming out of uh, 
the uh, pandemic and all we went through there in terms of you know food concerns and the like that really for the most part never materialized you know there were some disruptions in supply here and there jesse but for the most part throughout you know a three-year pandemic americans were well provided for and it just sort of reflects the power and resiliency of the american farmer and you know they they, they deserve a good farm bill as you know if nothing else is just a reward for seeing us through what you know, many would describe as some of the most challenging times we've seen in America. Well, Chuck, I know another issue that we are currently watching, and it's something that I feel like has been talked about more and more here since the pandemic started, ag labor. Uh, what's the latest uh, that you're, you're hearing as far as uh, trying to figure out some of our issues with ag labor? And I know uh, you just gave a talk about this as well in, in Kansas, I believe. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit for us? Well, I had, again, the opportunity in Kansas to speak at a governor's conference uh, there as well, but this one was on ag labor. And let me just say, Jesse, that when I survey um, farmers and my own co-op leadership, labor is probably today identified as the number one um, issue out there. And the number one issue that is sort of keeping our farms and ranches from meeting, you know, their financial objectives. It's, it's just a big deal today. And it's not getting any better. Labor is getting tighter in rural America. And, you know, we just, we, we've, we've got to have action on this. The good news that I told the farmers in Kansas and the ag leaders out there was that, you know, unlike a lot of problems that we work on in this country uh, where the solutions are difficult and you really don't know exactly what to do, we know exactly what to do in the ag labor space. We've mm-hmm. identified the problem and had the solution to that really for the better part of several years, almost a decade. And so we just, you know, we need Congress to act. We need politicians who are willing to stand up and and do what they say, which is show the highest regard for the American farmer and rancher. And showing that high regard would be fixing this ag labor problem for them. And and that's what we're going to continue to encourage. Does that come with a fix to the H-2A visa program potentially or some changes there, Chuck? What, what about that? Yeah, that's one of the essential components to, the, to fixing this problem, Jesse, is we need a workable uh, guest worker program in this country. We need a guest worker program that really fits agriculture today, which is more sort of year-round work wet rather than you know very sort of quick in-and-out seasonal work um, our livestock producers need. Uh, these guest workers as well. Um, the program is, is really a bureaucratic nightmare, and only a few farmers really sort of have the wherewithal and the resources to make it work for them. Uh, we need it to work really for um, all aspects of agriculture and sort of all shapes and sizes and, 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 and the like out there in order to have a successful program that solves this problem. Does it sound like, I haven't heard anything, but does it sound like that some reform to ag labor could get put into this farm bill, or does this feel like a separate issue in Congress, Chuck? It probably feels like a separate issue, Jesse. In a way, I wish that maybe wasn't the case, although you know the farm bill doesn't need a lot of other stuff to weigh it down at this point. Um, Chairman G.T. Thompson of the the House Agriculture Committee has appointed a task force within the Ag Committee 
uh, to look at this issue, and uh, uh, NCFC has testified before that committee, as have several others, where they're trying to sort of put together a blue ribbon report, if you will, on the how we can get this done and through Congress in, in relatively short order. Um, I think they're looking at that at this point as not a farm bill blue ribbon report, but as you know, perhaps subsequent legislation after we get the farm bill wrapped up. Well, great thoughts. Great to talk with you. Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Thanks for joining me here on AOA today, Chuck, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on the program again real soon. Have a great day. Likewise, Jesse. Thank you. Chuck Connor, National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk supply chains and logistics with Dr. Jason Miller from Michigan State University. That's next here on AOA. Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. 
Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, it's time to get caught up on what's going on with supply chains, logistics. We've had our concerns there from time to time over the last couple of years. And as we're nearing fall harvest, I know a lot of folks are going to be keeping that on the back of their minds here. Are we going to see any challenges ahead, et cetera, et cetera? Well, joining us now on the program, he's been on before. Pleased to have him back with us, Dr. Jason Miller. He is the chair of the Supply Chain Management Department at Michigan State University's Broad College of Business. And uh, Dr. Miller, great to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, let's dive in and let's just start with uh, with kind of a broad overview of where things stand. We we had our supply chain challenges. I've seen everything from rail strikes to trucking issues to low water levels on the Mississippi River. To, you name it. It seems like we've run the gamut here the last year or two of supply chain challenges and logistical challenges throughout rural America and really around the world. So uh, get us up to speed. Are, are we seeing any major challenges right now as we work towards the end of the summer months here? So certainly nothing like we were experiencing, you know, last year in 2021. Um, you know, a lot of the spare parts issues and production snarls have been worked out. Um, you know, industrial production right now of ag equipment is actually 55% higher than it was back in 2017. So this is one of the sort of second strongest periods um, we've seen in the last 15 years or so in that space. So things have improved there. Um, from probably the biggest issue has just been weak exports. Um, you know, our inflation adjusted exports of ag commodities are about 10 percent lower right now than they were back in 2019 for the first half of the year or 2021 so the export piece has been um you know i'd say certainly challenging mm -hmm. the fact ups just um announced yesterday that there's going to be you know the union overwhelmingly ratified the new contract that reduces a lot of concerns for you know spare parts distribution as we approach uh the corn and soybean harvest season. So that's at least a good sign. Well, and to that point as well, you know, we have heard a lot of those challenges, certain uh, certain parts not being available or, you know, our farmers and ranchers having to drive hours to find parts. And I've even heard some of that still going on in the auto industry as well. Uh, someone I know had to drive over three and a half hours to get a, a specific part for a car. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know some of that's still out there, but you're saying a, a lot of those concerns have, have been alleviated to a certain degree, right? Yes, they have. We're certainly better than we were last year at this time. We're not back to 2018 or 2019 yet. Um, the auto sector is probably the best performing sector of U.S. manufacturing right now. Um, you know, output on a sort of quality and vehicle size adjusted basis is actually near all-time highs for the last three or four months. And so that has been sort of the shining light in U.S. manufacturing. And anytime demand is strong, you know, that's when you're going to have a lot more of the shortages, you know, persisting for longer. Well, I know you posted a few articles on your LinkedIn here in the last couple of days that I thought were interesting as well that kind of tie into the, the whole supply chain and logistics uh portion here and a lot with uh, 
with the trucking industry. You know, we've heard we've heard our concerns about the trucking industry, but you think about uh, retailers like Walmart. I mean, just the amount and the volume that some of those big retailers ship around the country. I know that it takes a lot of truck drivers to do that, just like it takes a lot of uh, truck drivers to haul a lot of our uh, various ag commodities across the country. So uh, talk about that, some of the things you posted uh, regarding Walmart and just the, the overall scope of you know how the how the trucking industry is looking right now yeah so walmart has been um you know walmart had a very good second quarter as the first quarter there where they've had a real sort of strong growth and in inflation adjusted sales they are i'd say one of the exceptions right now when you take a look um you know we've had a lot of softness reported recently from nike um footlocker this morning um, so it does seem that the consumer is being a little less focused on clothing and I'm going to say pure discretionary items. TJ Maxx did very well, though. So what we seem to be in is a cautious consumer that's maybe switched some good spending away. But we're still seeing overall, you know, evidence of economic growth. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift having the greatest, you know, most successful concert <laughs> series of all time is, is indicative of that. Um so right now, it does appear that the economy is still in expansionary territory. Inflation is substantially better than it was last year. Not saying we're out of the woods yet. And right now, obviously, diesel prices going up and energy prices starting to take a upward swing is a huge concern. But it seems that we're sort of holding steady um, on the retail side, albeit still at very high levels of sales historically. Trucking's been in a freight recession since the third quarter of 2022, not mm -hmm. likely coming out of that until best case scenario is the second quarter of next year. And so we're still seeing relative, you know, demand down a couple percent from where it was last year. But more importantly, just we've not had a massive exodus of supply just yet. We're talking with Dr. Jason Miller from Michigan State University here today on AOA discussing supply chains and logistics. And uh, one more thought with the with the trucking industry, and I'll, I'll rope rail into this too. I, I think about you know fall harvest time. We got to move grain to the Gulf to the PNW. Uh, or you know, from the field to our local elevators or ethanol plants, but also too, uh, we gotta we gotta bring fertilizer in from the Gulf too. So, and any concerns you're seeing there, thinking ahead to say you know September, October, November, December timeframe, Jason? Not really on the rail side. Um, railroad, uh, you know, network speed is higher this year than last year. Um, the railroads have been adding headcounts back. Um, Overall demand is down, especially intermodal <laughs> movements. So the networks are not quite as snarled as they were certainly in 2021 and the first half of 22. So that's looking, you know, much, much better in terms of a velocity standpoint. So, you know, again, you're going to have your, your blips and disruptions. I mean, right now all the rain and, um, you know, Southwestern California has certainly affected some inland intermodal movements for Union Pacific and whatnot. But we just have to wait and see. But, you know, again, this year is looking substantially better than what we were last year and leaps and bounds better than this time in 2021. Let's talk about the ports. And I know we've seen our challenges. We've heard about some of the strikes with uh, the longshoremen on the West Coast and, and more. And I've heard some talk that there's a few PNW grain facilities that aren't necessarily running at full capacity or not really running right now because to an issue you brought up earlier is our demand exports 
uh, right now have been a bit weak on, on the ag side. But as you look at the ports, I know we've had challenges there as well. What's the current state of whether e either the West or East Coast ports? So right now we don't have the vessel backlogs like we did last year. And again, certainly not on the West Coast like we did. And we're starting to build up at this time in 2021. You know, export demand has been weak. I mean, part of it is we've got a strong dollar. I mean, the U.S. dollar index is higher than it was in 2018, 2019. We've had Brazil have record harvests. And so right now, you know, Brazil, uh, Brazilian corn and soy is very attractive, um, especially mm -hmm. for Chinese buyers. Um, but again, overall, from a disruption standpoint, we're not seeing as much. There, you know, there is some concern with the Panama Canal water levels, but that's not started to reach some type of sort of critical, critical um, concern just yet. Um, and right now, really, it's the soft sort of import demand um, mm -hmm. is in some ways counterbalancing the slower pace that vessels can navigate the Panama Canal. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that as well. And, you know, I saw the headline. And then you read the actual details and it sounded like they only, you know, brought down the, the volume of ships that could go through by what, like five or six ships a day or something like that. It, it was a it was a smaller number than I think some of the headlines made it out to be, Jason. Yeah, it's one that I, you know, keep looking at. Are we starting to see a lot of the importers and freight forwarders that are bringing product in from East Asia to the East Coast and or the Gulf Coast through the canal starting to report issues? And we're just not seeing that many issues show up yet. Um, so fingers crossed we can we can make our way through this. But this right now to me is shaping up to be on the import side kind of the kind of sort of 2019-esque, not, mm -hmm. not as much volume um, as has, there has been in the past. Last year and certainly 2021 at this time were total outliers. Um, and so thing, the system has essentially corrected itself. It's taken a lot longer. Um, we still have a lot of excess inventory on the consumer goods side. It's probably going to take till the middle of next year till those inventories are right-sized. So... Um, it should be a fairly calm market um, as we move forward. The biggest biggest outlier right now is ener potential energy prices um, and just seeing where this mm -hmm. evolves to. And that's something we'll definitely be keeping our eyes on. And we'll look forward to talking with you again in the future to keep us updated on what's going on supply chain wise, logistically. With that, Dr. Jason Miller with Michigan State University's Broad College of Business. Thanks so much for joining us here on AOA today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk grain markets and the expansion of Soy Crush with Ed Usset from the University of Minnesota Extension. That's next here on Agriculture of America. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. 
Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top-performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com slash rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. And you're listening to AOA. Jesse Allen here. Let's take a look at some of our market activity as we work through our Wednesday. It is a fairly mixed bag. Cord and wheat prices initially rallied overnight on reports of another Russian strike on Ukrainian port infrastructure, but we've seen cord and wheat struggle to maintain those gains here as we went through the overnight Globex session and into our morning trade. Russia did conduct another drone strike on Ukraine port infrastructure on the Danube River at facilities at Ismail. It's just a reminder that uh, the issues over there, the Black Sea, are continuing and continue to escalate uh, but still, the trade is kind of feeling numb to what is going on with the Black Sea region right now. But it is something to keep our eyes on. We also continue to watch the Midwest Crop Tour going on here this week. It's uh, uncovering some more of the problems with this year's quarter bean crops as we found uh, some pretty uh, problem fields in eastern Illinois and eastern Nebraska. So again, something to keep an eye on. The tour moves into parts of western Illinois, eastern Iowa today, as well as areas of western Iowa. It is a major talking point in the markets here, at least for this week. Wall Street's increasingly concerned about rising interest rates, and those concerns should go beyond the Federal Reserve. A string of credit rating downgrades we've seen over the past several weeks are a red flag about longer-term problems, especially the downgrade of the U.S. credit rating. We see the VIX. That is trading near 17 again this morning. The dollar surged higher to trade near 103.9, representing a nearly an 11-week high for the greenback. Crude oil prices, they're trading more than 1% lower on lingering concerns about softer global demand as well. We see quarter wheat, they've been hovering around unchanged with beans under a little bit more pressure there. Maybe some follow-through selling from Tuesday's action. While the livestock market's opening up relatively mixed, trying to find direction here this week in cattle and hogs. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes. Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program as we look big picture at what's going on in the markets. Quarter wheat have been disappointing here as of late. Soybeans, uh, we're going to talk about some of the 
tightness in that market and the upcoming expansion and soy crush capacity and more. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to focus on here today with our guest, Ed Usset. He's uh, with the Department of Applied Economics at the University of Minnesota, extension professor. And Ed, it is great to talk with you again. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, having me back, Jesse. Well, we do appreciate the time and uh, happy to be able to get you back on the show before school really ramps back up there at the uh, University of Minnesota. And uh, thinking about how things are going so far this summer, uh, crop conditions, you and I were talking about that just briefly uh, before we went on the air here. Uh, Your neck of the woods there in Minnesota, I know you mentioned to me kind of a mixed bag so far this growing season, Ed. Yeah, we've got our good to excellent ratings on corn and soybeans have been just under 50%, not very impressive, a mixed bag. I've talked to people in our state who have a wonderful crop coming and other people who don't. It's not going to be a a record-setting year here in Minnesota, but of course, I I always caution people that you you shouldn't judge the entire U.S. crop based on your own backyard. Yeah, you shouldn't uh, have that backyard-itis, so to right. speak. I know some folks right. like to use that term for sure. Well, as as you uh, think about that and not having backyard-itis, obviously there are some areas of the core belt that are doing pretty good. Others are kind of the same as Minnesota. Things are, are baking under some heat right now and more. But I look at these markets, thinking especially quarter wheat, and it's kind of been disappointing here as of late. We had that recent rally fall apart and – got down to some low, lower support levels here in, in both quartered wheat. And I know some of that's kind of tied to a poor demand picture, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's uh, both a good good crop. I don't know if it's going to be a great crop, but a good crop coming and poor demand. I'm, I'm noticing that the DEIS uh, 23 contract is, as we speak, trading at about 476. That's its lowest level in almost two years for that particular contract. Now, these contracts trade for four years, mm-hmm. but yeah, we were well over $6 for for a, a period with this contract. Here we are at 476 and boy, I hate to say it, but I suppose 450 is a possibility if this crop is uh, developing well. And the wheat market, you know, I used to be a spring wheat buyer for flour mills, and and wheat is my baby. That's the one I follow closely, and the spring wheat market has been just crazy. Over the last six months, that market has had, over a six-month period, five separate crashes and recoveries of 10% or more in the price, and we're in the process of uh, our fifth crash, and I believe we're at life of contract lows are awfully close to it, I should say, right now. Well, and thinking about both of those markets, you, you mentioned the wild volatility that we've seen, and I have to think with the, the demand picture being the way it is, Ed, it's probably going to take lower prices to maybe spur some demand in corn and, and wheat here. Would you mm-hmm. agree or not? <clears throat> wheat and corn, a similar story there. We're watching events, terrible events, a war in Ukraine and Russia, and uh, particularly Ukraine, the breadbasket of Europe and all the, and, and we're watching this unfold. Russia went and destroyed some of the uh, export K 
capabilities here a month or six weeks ago, bombed the facilities themselves. You know, that, that's no small deal in that if the war ended tomorrow, Ukraine is still not back in this for a while. It takes a while to rebuild those facilities. But that said, our own market has been anticipating, boy, there's troubles over there. They got to come for our wheat. We're headed for a 50-year low in wheat exports. It's like they got to come, but they're they're not quite coming for our wheat. So, yeah, it's, it's trouble. Well, and I know a part of that is Russia's got a lot of cheap wheat that they keep dumping on that world market. And I mean, you, you see that versus, you know, the U.S. prices. And there's a, a bit of a wider discrepancy there than maybe on the corn side with the U.S. versus Brazilian prices, et cetera. So, it feels like there's a, a bigger gap to try and close on the wheat market versus corn globally. Yeah, 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 yeah. there is. Well, uh, thinking about this as well, looking at corn and wheat, obviously, have been uh, a bit disappointing. Soybeans, on the other hand, though, have been a, a bit better. Tighter balance sheet there, Ed. And obviously, we have some different things in front of us, too, with soy crush capacity expanding and more. And we can talk about that in a second. But just the soybean market in general feels like tighter fundamentals are helping keep that market a bit more supported. It changed dramatically with that June uh, 30th acreage report that surprised everyone and added a lot of corn acres, took away a lot of soybean acres. And I'll be, I'll be honest, uh, Jesse, I, I don't know anyone who's expecting that unexpected move. And the soybean market really hasn't looked back since. It's been firm. While corn and wheat are seeking levels they haven't seen in a couple of years, the uh, soybean market is hanging in there pretty good. Well, and thinking about the expansion of soy crush capacity, Ed, I know that's a, a topic you've been following closely, and it's something that I think is very interesting. We've been hearing a lot about this now for the last couple of years. We've been seeing more and more of these plants coming online or being built or being announced. And it still feels like we're we're kind of at first base in a way, if we want to look at it that way, Ed. We're kind of rounding first, headed for second here when it comes to soy crush capacity. Well, I've been tracking this just because it's, it's so daggone interesting, and I think it's going to impact uh, grain markets, all of them, not just soybeans, all grain markets, over the next three, four years. I will tell you that in a 15-month period, Starting in uh, 2022, going through 2023, I counted 16 announced expansions or, or that could be either expansions of existing capacity or brand new facilities, green, greenfield facilities, 16 of them uh, on the docket between now and 2026, really two, yeah. 2026, so next four years. I uh, talked about that, by the way, that would expand soy crush capacity by 25% if it all came to be. Mm -hmm. Now, I first talked about this a few months back at a big conference, and I made this, you know, I, I expressed this 16 expansions, 25% increase in capacity, and then I after my talk, I went on to this conference floor and I'm pulled aside by a gentleman who works on a state soybean board. I'm not going to name names or anything. And uh, he pulls me aside and he says, Ed, you're wrong. 
about the soy expansion. Like, good grief, I'm wrong. What did what did I get wrong? He said there are not 16 expansions coming. There are 23, and it'll expand the production soy crushing capacity not by 25 percent, but by 33 percent. Well, I'm I'm going to stick with the 16 uh, that I know of and uh, mm-hmm. 5% expansion. And here's my thought on this. And it's still, it's still on shaky ground. However, I say shaky ground. It's a lot about the mandates on renewable diesel and mm-hmm. tax credits at the state, federal level. And the price of oil, is it going to be $80 a barrel or $100 or $120? All these factors come in. But I will say this. I've been tracking crushing margins. And I track the board crushing margin, and I want your listeners to be clear on something. A crushing margin is not a profit margin. It's a gross margin out out of which you pay all the bills and what's left is Mm -hmm. uh, profitability. But the crushing margin on the board, that is, you take a look at November soybeans, December oil, December meal, you can calculate these things. It's currently about $2 a bushel. It's currently three times the level enjoyed for about a 25-year period from 1990 through 2015. The last five, six years, that crushing margin has doubled or more. And when you've got good margins like that, Jesse, you expand. So this is something, will will it impact the soybean market in the next six months or year? Probably not. We got to get this capacity up and running. But if that capacity, if it comes through as 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 announced, we're going to need more soybeans. And to get more soybeans, we're going to need more acres of soybeans. That means less acres of you fill in the blank. It's going to upset all the markets. So it has the potential to put a very favorable spin on grain prices over the next two to four years. Fascinating thoughts and fascinating work you've done on, on soy crush expansion, Ed. It's something that I think a lot of us are curious to watch as uh, all those things unfold that you mentioned. One follow-up I have for you on that, just your thoughts here. We've seen China go more to Brazil for soybeans and Argentina for soybeans. So could we see soy crush expansion possibly be a replacement for some of the Chinese demand or an addition to Uh, some of that remaining Chinese demand for U.S. soybeans. What do you think about that? Uh, My guess is a little of both. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm not, uh, we're we're all watching the trend and China is making a concerted effort to take more soybeans out of South America. That could be where more of the soybeans come for renewable diesel with just lower exports. But the Mm -hmm. market will determine that. It will not be an edict from above. It'll be market forces that drive Well, we do appreciate the time and the insight, and we'll look forward to getting you back on the program again real soon. Ed Usset with the University of Minnesota. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, up next, we'll talk the latest milk production report with Alyssa Badger from High Ground Dairy here on AOA. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. 
you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Are you heading to the Farm Progress Show in Decatur? Stop by the Trelleborg booth on 10th Street and see Mike Pearson and me, Jesse Allen, broadcasting live. Learn about the HF1000 and features that minimize soil compaction. We will be broadcasting live from Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the Farm Progress Show. That's Trelleborg booth 1062 from 9 to 10 a.m. We'll see you in Decatur. When people look at your farm, they just see corn. But to you, it's a lot more than that. It's a college fund, your retirement plan, and it deserves trait protection that can stand up to heavy pressure threats like corn woodworm. SmartStacks Pro with RNAi technology is trusted on over 1 million acres to protect the things that mean more. Trade up at SmartStacksPro.com. Always read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. 
Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, before we wrap up today's program, we want to talk about the dairy market. What is happening in dairy? We had a milk production report come out earlier this week, and we want to focus on that and more. Joining us now, we are pleased to have with us Alyssa Badger, Vice President of Global Operations and Insights for High Ground Dairy. Alyssa, thanks for being on AOA with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jesse. Glad to be here and sitting in the AC with this awful weather. I am right there with you. It is not a fun time to be outside, and our our thoughts are with everyone who's got to deal with the weather outside, working out there, and uh, and, and making things happen, especially on the dairy operation. I think about them as as well. And yeah. thinking about dairy right now, Alyssa, we had that milk production report come out earlier this week. It sounds like we had a bit of a decrease in production overall. Can you give us a rundown of what we saw in the report? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So Wisconsin, Idaho, Michigan, South Dakota, they're all still seeing impressive growth rates, even despite this um, hot weather digging into yields as well as tight on-farm margins. But where the real issue is, is out west and in the southwest. So California, Texas, New Mexico, those states are experiencing a really large drop in production. And that's kind of what dragged down the entire country uh, and we turned negative for the first time since June of last year, we were down 0.5% from prior year. Well, and I think about California too, I believe they're the largest milk producing state and they had a decrease there. I, I found that to be a bit interesting as well, Alyssa. Yeah, that it was the most considerable year over year loss since we since August 2012. So it was a wow. really ugly month for that state. As many people might know, milk prices got as low as $13 in July. Break-even costs out west are as high as $20. So worst margins we've seen in over a decade um, and herd sizes have contracted aggressively. And that's, you know, one of the key reasons that California is struggling so much. Their herd size is the lowest we've seen since 2000, 2004. Well, I think about milk production backing down here, according to that latest report. But then we think about just the dairy markets as a whole here, Alyssa. And I think about uh, tight supply globally. We look at margins and more. I mean, how does this all work? We're seeing a decrease yet. Things are tight globally. Yeah. So the U.S. is not the only country experiencing those hard, the hardships of tight margins. New Zealand, Japan, Europe, everyone's kind of uh, feeling the, the pressure from the higher input costs, expensive feed costs, and uh, unfavorable weather. So less cow comfort, uh, less pasture growth, uh, really making it more expensive to keep the cows uh, milking longer in places like New Zealand and Ireland, where 
they're so uh, focused on pasture-based milking. Um, so it's just been an interesting situation. You'd think with all this contracting milk on a global scale that we'd see prices come roaring back, but we're not seeing that because really the demand side of the market has been such a question mark and um, that's kind of been keeping markets in imbalanced uh, outside of the tight supply situation. Well, and you, you know, I think about the markets and that demand picture. And really, when it comes to demand, not only U.S., but globally, as I think about just how poor demand is right now mm -hmm. in many cases, obviously the U.S. And I mean, it's it feels like everything ag related, whether we're talking row yeah. crops, but also talking dairy as well. And so it, it's interesting. And then you think about that coupled with just the wild volatility in the dairy markets yeah. here the last couple of years or well last couple of months Alyssa it's been it's been quite interesting to watch yeah absolutely so we've been really struggling to move some key commodities out of the US and into places like Asia South Korea uh Japan we're we're really struggling to get into those markets even China um obviously uh, just from a um our economic situation the macroeconomic situation in Asia and Africa we have just not been able to move product to those regions. Uh, right now, people are kind of just searching for the best price in the marketplace. And oftentimes that's been Europe from a cheese perspective or from a milk powder perspective, it's been more New Zealand that has competitive pricing. So we've lost some business there. Um, and just, man, China, as, as everyone knows that's listening, no matter what commodity you're in, you know, um, the impact that the lack of Chinese demand uh, is is really having on all the markets right now. That is very, very true. We're talking with Alyssa Badger, Vice President of Global Operations and Insights at High Ground Dairy here on AOA today. Alyssa, butter and cheese prices, how are things looking there? Are things uh, volatile, similar to milk prices as well? What are the fundamentals looking like in those markets? Yeah, incredibly volatile. So we do get an updated cold storage report today. So we'll know where cheese and butter inventories are sitting here in the U.S. Um, but without that data, the, the cheese market's been incredibly volatile. Um, we do think where prices sit now around the 170 to 180 per pound mark, that that's a, that's a fair price uh, given all the fundamentals. And we have seen some recent strength in cheese. It was much lower than that. And if they've come back aggressively, which is great for milk prices, right? So that's why we're finally at these break-even levels in milk. But cheese has um, seasonalities is part of the reason that we're seeing cheese come back. Um, the, the Obviously, the less milk availability throughout the Midwest um, has helped to perk up cheese prices. We had some large U.S. cheddar plants reporting some maintenance issues that really tightened up the product that you would be eligible to sell on the CME. So that helped uh, spike prices a little bit. Um, and then, interest interestingly enough, the managed money position on Class 3 in cheese uh, had a record um, short position. So they started to roll out of their positions and kind of also helped um, perk up some prices here. So cheese has finally come back a little bit uh but we do think where where it sits now is kind of a fair price butter we're a little bit more bullish on um cream availability has tightened up because throughout this summer we've seen really high demand for class two milk products so yogurts ice creams sour cream and that's diverted a lot of milk fat 
away mm -hmm. from butter and into those products. So butter manufacturers are now having a hard time getting their hands on butter fat. Um, and we are heading into, you know, the holiday season. So demand yeah. for butter is going to rise and we expect um, prices to find support there into the end of the year for butter. Well, great thoughts. And I know folks can learn more online, highgrounddairy.com. Alyssa Badger with High Ground Dairy. Thanks for joining us on AOA. We'll get you back on soon. Thanks for having me. Cheers. And that's going to do it for today's program. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Have a great day. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Challenge. It's not something you shy from. It's a chance to up your game. Every day brings a new challenge, but with the Enhanced Channel Seed brand on your side, you can rise to it. With our top performing seed, innovative digital tools, and expanded agronomic support, you can turn tomorrow's challenges into your next advantage. Your Enhanced Channel Seed brand. Let's rise to the challenge. Learn more at channel.com rise. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.